You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Thanks for leading us in worship so well. Really appreciate that. And uh, thank you, Sean, for leading us this morning. It's a real privilege to be back here at uh, Whitefields and a real privilege to share in the ministry, the teaching, the preaching that takes place. And as Nick has just concluded the series, Remembering the Prophets, um, we're going to just sort of bring that to a close as in looking at the story of Haggai this morning. And uh, I got a text this morning from Nick from Ukraine, and he was wondering, how are the roads? Will you be able to make it down from Estes Park? Well, I slid down and I made it down, and, uh, but it's a real privilege to be here this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Haggai, and uh, we're going to just take some time this morning and look at this wonderful minor prophet in which the story of Haggai is, as you look at the 12 minor prophets as it has been set up for you, is these 12 minor prophets at the end of the Bible, the Old Testament as we have it, you have these 39 books in the Old Testament. But as you enter every room of a house, you make an observation of what is in that room. You understand the message of that room. And as you exit out of a room, you make an application. And so the beauty of this Old Testament, 39 rooms as on this floor. And as you go through the hallway, there's a golden hallway of the sovereignty of God in every room as it would be. But there's a red carpet that is just spread throughout these rooms that speaks of the redemptive story of Christ himself. And in the story of Haggai, as one of the last of the prophets that's going to speak to the people of Israel, in which if you look historically, you go back in which the kingdom divided in 931 BC after the reign of Solomon. There were 10 tribes to the north, Israel. There are two tribes to the south, Judah. The northern kingdom, as it would be, falls to the hands of the Assyrians in 722 to the captivity. The south continues on to 586 and falls to the hands of the Babylonians. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the Assyrians, when they took the northern tribes captive, they were a bloodthirsty people. They would chain their prisoners. It's even said historically, they would fillet the skins off of their captives and they would plaster them along the walls of their capital city, Nineveh. That would give us a little insight to Jonah. We often call Jonah the you know, the fearful prophet, but would you want to go to a group of people that fillet the skins of the captives and would you want to go to them and offer the mercy of God? That were the Assyrians. The Babylonians, on the other hand, if the Assyrians intimidated the people, if the Assyrians were known as a bloodthirsty, intimidating persecution of the people, what did the Babylonians do? The Babylonians took the captives And instead of intimidating them, they infiltrated them. 
They changed their names. They changed their culture. They changed their diet. They changed their clothing. They changed their language. They changed their music. They influenced the culture in a negative way. Persecution. Are there places around the world today that are experiencing intimidation? People that are being beheaded. People that are being hung. But are there other places where the evil one has infiltrated the culture? He's infiltrated the music. He's infiltrated the lifestyle. He's infiltrated the way we think. He's infiltrated the way we dress. He's infiltrated the way we think and talk. Has that happened today? As we look at Haggai, in which you had prophets that prophesied before the captivity, You'll have major prophets that prophesied during the captivity. But then the last three minor prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, prophesy to the nation as they returned from the captivity. Haggai is going to put an emphasis on consider your ways. Let's rebuild the temple that was destroyed. Let's rebuild that temple for the presence of God amongst the people. And looking back, Zechariah is going to say, let's finish the temple for preparation for the Messiah to come. And as you looked at last week with Nick about the story of Malachi, how's your heart? So as you turn to Haggai chapter 1, you got to look at this thought of consider your ways. Every day we walk. You notice that? Every day we walk. And as you think over your life, where have you walked? Maybe you've walked up a mountain. Maybe you've walked along a shore. Maybe you've walked through a forest. Let me just check. Maybe you have a health app on your phone. And just today already, I've walked 1,599 steps. Maybe you have that app. We walk every day. We take steps. As you look back over your life, you can see where you've walked from. As you look ahead, you can see where you're going to walk to. And the story of Haggai, as we begin here, the story of Haggai is writing to a nation that has returned from the Babylonian captivity in which Darius, the Persian king, has given them a declaration that in 538 they could return to, as Cyrus putting this, they could return back to the promised land. And in 536 they begin to rebuild this temple. They lay the foundation. They set it all up. But in 520, 16 years later, they neglected to finish rebuilding this temple. As you see the author's name, Haggai, just a little historical backdrop here. Haggai, his name means festival. And he would have been named as being born on one of the three festivals that the nation of Israel had to make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. Whether it was the festival of the unleavened bread or the festival of weeks or the festival of tabernacles. There'd be an emphasis there in relation to his name. He's a contemporary of Zechariah in which Haggai says, let's rebuild the temple for the purpose of the purpose of the temple from what we've had. And Zechariah says, let's rebuild the temple and finish it for preparation of the Messiah to come. And as maybe fitting in the pieces of the puzzle, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi 
are the prophetic books that are written during the historical books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, as you would follow that. The date and setting is exact. As you begin there in chapter 1, verse 1, in the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet. The exact dating is given in these four messages. 538, Cyrus says, you can go back to the promised land. 536, they begin to build. They're laying the foundation. Have you ever been somewhere where you've seen a foundation begin? Have you ever been somewhere where you've seen someone has begun building something, whether they've run out of money or they got distracted by something else, they did not finish the task? And so in 520 BC, this message of Haggai is brought. The theme, if you just skip down there to verse 3, then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, the temple of God, lies as it is desolate? Now therefore... Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways is the theme. The purpose as you have in your notes, but expanded on the outline. Circumstances become difficult when people place their own selfish interest before God. And what are they to rebuild? What are they to rebuild? They are to rebuild as the presence of the glory of God amongst the people, which is the temple, God's glory. A man by the name of Lloyd John Ogilvie, who was the chaplain to the U.S. Senate a number of years ago, he gave a phrase, and he put it this way, beware of the seduction of the secondary. Beware of the seduction of the of the secondary. What in our lives, what in your life, what in my life takes place and distracts me, seduces me from as the focus on Christ, even as we've sung this morning in which our eyes are fixed and focused on Him, even as we sit here or even later today, there is going to be something in your life, there's going to be things in my life that are going to distract me, the seduction of the secondary, in which we begin well, but we often don't finish well. A man was running in the 1968 Olympics for Tanzania, and he was a marathon runner. And as he ran this marathon there in the 1968 Olympics, halfway through the race, he injured himself. He stumbled off to the side, but he got back up as the runners kept running. He got back up and he began to sort of hobble the rest of the race. He came into this empty coliseum in which the race was finished. And as he came across that finish line, there was no one there but a few news reporters. And one news reporter came over to him and said, Sir, the race is over. You lost. Why did you keep running a race that you knew you were going to lose? And this man from Tanzania looked at that news reporter and said, Sir, my country sent me 7,000 miles, not just to start the race. But my country sent me 7,000 miles to finish the race. 
How many of us are good at getting things started, but we never finish? Whether it's called distraction or, let me think on the word, procrastination. (laughs) How many of us procrastinate? How many of us distract? And so as you go on here, and what we're going to do, we're going to look at each of these messages. And as, let's just begin this survey of this, consider your ways. And if you go to chapter 1 here, in verses 1 to 15, there's an encouragement. Rebuild the temple. There's an encouragement. Let's continue the task. And that first message, and it's exact, according to the Jewish calendar, September 1st, the year 520. 16 years later, after they got the building started, and the emphasis here, or the message would be, be considering, be considering. In verses 1 to 4, there's a rebuke for their indifference. There's this rebuke for, you've sort of taken your hands off what's important. You've gotten seduced by the secondary. You're more interested in your own house than the house of God. Then in verses 5 to 6 is God's chastening, God's discipline. Follow as I read verse 5. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but you harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put in a a purse with holes. So what do you see that's going to take place here as you fill in the notes as it sees right there? It says you're going to sow, but guess what? (laughs) You're not going to have enough. You're going to eat, but what does it say? You're still going to be hungry. You're going to drink, but guess what? You're not going to be satisfied. You're going to put on clothing. You're going to dress, but you're going to still be cold. You're not going to be warm. You're going to work, but maybe some of us can relate to this. seems like the more you work, the more you don't have enough. You're putting it in a purse as holes in it. What is God doing here? God is disciplining his people. And what's the purpose of discipline? The purpose of discipline, and it's related to the word disciple, discipline is for the purpose of bringing us back to what is important. Now, in English, we use the expression punishment and discipline really interchangeable. We could say punish or discipline. But really, the purity of those words, you're punished for what you've done. You're disciplined for the hope of what you're going to become. Punishment is for the consequence. Discipline is for the character building. And so what is God doing here? God is not just punishing his people, but God is desiring to discipline his people. Maybe to give you a perspective, I would never discipline the neighbor's kids. I might punish them, but I'll discipline my kids. In which God the Father of his children, you and I will discipline us. 
The unsaved will be punished eternally, but he desires to discipline his people for the purpose of what he hopes us to become. So as right here in the story of Haggai, God is saying, you are gonna have, but not enough. You're gonna eat, but still be hungry. You're gonna drink, but not be satisfied. You're gonna put on clothing, and you're still gonna be cold. You're gonna earn money, but you're gonna put it into pockets that have holes in it. When we don't put God first, this is what takes place. And we know it in our own lives. In the story of Amos, the story of Amos says there's gonna be a famine in the land. And it's not a famine of food or famine of, thir- of water. It's gonna be a famine of hearing the word of God. And I'm not saying God does this all the time because there might be times in our lives in which we don't hear him. We don't sense him. We don't see him at work. But there might be times in which when we don't hear or sense or feel or see him at work, it's because we've been seduced by the secondary. Even this morning, I want to encourage every one of us in this room to evaluate, consider your ways. How am I walking? Every step that I take. As you see in verses 7 through 11, that there is going to be as... God's encouragement. And what is God's encouragement here? God's encouragement is this internal examination. Consider your ways. And then in verses 12 to 15, and you can just look at this even later, verses 12 to 15, there's the response of the leaders. So there is this call to consider, and then there is this response as from the leadership to all of the people. Now, just turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. And I've been emphasizing this idea of consider your ways. How am I walking? Where am I walking? And this is a well-known chapter here in the Psalms, Psalm chapter 1. And I'm just going to read the first few verses. In Old Testament Hebrew poetry, there's what's called parallelism, in which there are lines as to emphasize a point. As in English poetry, there is line by line according to rhythm, as it would be. In Hebrew poetry, it's line by line according to thought. It might be a similar thought, or it might be a contrasting thought, or it might be a building thought. And here you have in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Now watch this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. There's three elements there. How blessed is the man who does not, what's the word? Walk in the counsel of the wicked. Look at the second line. How blessed is the man who does not stand in the path of sinners. And then the third line, how blessed is the man who does not sit. So I'm going to use one of these chairs. Watch this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the advice. And what does that mean? In which you're walking, but you could be listening. How blessed is the man who does not walk and consider sin. From walking to stand, what do you have to do? Stop. So how blessed is the man who's not considering the advice? How blessed is the man who does not stand in the path. And that's a worn trail. 
of the sinner. So how blessed is the man who does not consider? How blessed is the man who does not contemplate? And what's the third line? How blessed is the man who does not sit and become comfortable in sin? Consider your ways. Where am I right now? Where am I in my life? Am I at a place where I am considering sin? Am I at a place where I've stopped and I've contemplated sin? Or am I right now at a place where I have walked, I have stood, and now I'm sitting in a sin that I've become comfortable in? Rebuild the temple. And where's the temple today? Right here. How's your relationship with Christ? How many steps have you taken today in walking in his ways? I wish I could bring up on my phone. This would be great. And this would be a spirit-given thing in which if it was on your phone, it would say today, Frank, you've walked 5,000 steps and you've walked 3,000 in your own way and you've walked 2,000 in my way. Wouldn't that be something? Instead of walking 5,000 steps his way, oh, if I've walked so many steps in my way. Well, let's look at the second message as you see here. So the first message, going back to Haggai here, the first message is chapter one there. Now as you turn to chapter two. So here you know, message one, exact date, September 1st, Year 520 B.C. Now look at the second message. It begins right away there in chapter 2, verse 1, on the 21st of the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, that is. The word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet. So the second message is October 21st, the year 520 B.C., and there's an encouragement in light of the smallness of the temple. And the the theme of this message would be, be strong. Be considering, now be strong. And what's going to be encouraging here is in verses 1 to 5, and you can see this. Just read through it on your own, glance at it. What temple are they rebuilding here in Haggai? What temple? Solomon's temple. Boy, does anyone know by chance how much did Solomon's temple cost In equivalent financial exchange, Solomon's temple cost the equivalent of $5 billion. It was amazing. These people in the day of Haggai, where are they coming from? Where are they coming from? Captivity. People in captivity, do you make money in captivity? You're coming out of captivity poor. And what do they begin to rebuild? Solomon's temple. How long were they in captivity for? 70 years. You know why they were in captivity for 70 years? Because in the Jewish feast, every seventh year, they were to allow the land to rest. In over 490 years, they neglected every seventh year year for the land to rest and what did God say for every seventh year you have neglected you will spend in captivity 
How many sevens are in 490 years? 70 times seven. Just say that with me. 70 times seven. And even after the captivity, what did God do? He forgave his people. You remember when Jesus was asked, how often should we forgive our enemies? And what did he say? 70 times 7. Because in the Jewish understanding, that was a known date. That was a known figure. And it speaks of perfection. Do we use dates or do we use numbers as a reference point? I speak to a bunch of college kids. And most of them are 18, 19 years old. So they don't understand it fully. But I say this. The world as we know it today has been changed since, say it, what day? Just say the figure that comes in your mind right away. Life as we know it today, travel as we know it today has changed since, since 9-11. You imagine talking to your great-grandparents, 9-11, would they have a clue? That figure has become a set figure in our mind that we use as a reference point. Life has changed since 9-11. 9-11, what's 9-11? Ah, September 11. <laughs> that day, that day. God has forgiven the people 70 times 7, and that's going to become a figure. And so when they're returning back to the promised land, they are returning forgiven. They are returning, even though over 490 years, they have neglected God in the promise of taking care of the land. Every seventh year, they're going to go back as forgiven. And when they go back as forgiven and they begin to rebuild the temple, there's some of them, among them, they're going to remember Solomon's temple. And what do they begin to do? Look at what occurs here. Let me just read some of these verses. Follow with me. Verse 3. Who's left among you who saw this temple in the former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage, Joshua, the high priest, and all the people. Verse 5, as for the promise which I made you when I came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Verse 7, I will shake all the nations and they will come with all the wealth of the nations and I will fill the house with the glory of God. And so the encouragement is this. Let's rebuild the temple. The promise is the glory of the future temple. And what is the purpose of the temple? The purpose of the temple is not on the outside. The purpose of the temple is the presence of God in the inside. And that's why I love preaching in a gym. How many of us have maybe been involved in a ministry somewhere where you maybe have heard this phrase? It's not like the good old days. You know, where are the old hymn books? Where's the person on the organ? It's not like the old, look at the guy, he's not even in a suit. The good old days. We need to bring back the good old days. How many of us have been involved in ministries like that? Maybe some of us even in this room, maybe you've been in a place like that in which we compare the presence with the past. It's not like it used to be. We don't have the hymn books. They put it up on a screen. What next? You know, what's going to happen next? It's very subtle. You see what Satan is doing? He's distracting the church. 
from keeping our eyes on Christ. Let's put our presence in now the story of how. It's not like Solomon's temple. How can I worship God? I'm going to come to this place. How can I worship God? Because it's not like Solomon's temple. And what is Haggai going to say? Be strong. Understand. The purpose of the temple is not the outside. The purpose of the temple is the presence of God on the inside that's going to illuminate to the outside. And how many of us as temples of God today, we compare temples as the guys were leading us in worship, I look at them and say, what an amazing job. I appreciate them leading us in worship. There's not a chance. I don't even know how to string a guitar. I wouldn't even know a chord to play. And I can compare my temple to their temple. But you know what? Let's not compare temples. But let's understand the power of God through our temples. Don't strive to be just like someone else but get to know God and God will make you into the person that he wants you to be. And so as here, they were comparing temples. This temple is not like Solomon's temple. And he's saying, be strong. Then as you go down to verse 10, you see the third message as it is here. And the third message of Haggai is exact also. On the 24th of the ninth month in the second year, of Darius. So the third message is encouragement to obedience. And the third message says this, be clean. It's December 24th, year 520 BC. And in verses 10 to 13, you can just glance with me And this is what Haggai, by the word of the Lord, says, verse 11, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and he touches bread with it, or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And what do the priests say? No. Then what does he say? Then Haggai says, If one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And what do they say? Yes. So what this is called the infectious nature of sin. The infectious nature of sin as it is. Verses 10 to 13. And and what is he saying here is the next would be the insufficiency of unclean sacrifices. The insufficiency of unclean sacrifices. And what's the issue that's being addressed here? What did we just see at the beginning of chapter 2? There's some people that are complaining, and what are they complaining? It's not like Solomon's temple. They've got a bad attitude because it's not what it used to be. And they've got the external instead of the internal. And so what Haggai is saying, if something holy touches something unholy, the holy will not make the unholy holy. But if something is unclean and it touches something that is holy, the unclean will make the holy unclean. You might know the example of an apple. If you take a good apple and put it in a basket of bad apples, the good won't make the bad good, but if you take a bad apple and put it into a basket of good apples, the bad will make the good bad. Why is he saying this? Because amongst the people, there is infiltrating a negative attitude. Disobedience brings 
cursing. But obedience brings blessing. Negativity can infiltrate. The story of Haggai in literature would be a chiasm. And what a chiasm means, it begins a certain way and it's going to end a certain way. And it's going to exchange or pass over in the middle. Haggai begins with negativity. You're going to sow but not have enough. You're going to drink but not be satisfied. You're going to eat but still be hungry. And the end of Haggai is going to be this. God is going to bless you and he's going to return blessing upon his people. But in this middle section, Haggai is going to put it this way. Examine your life. My thoughts, my words, my actions. It doesn't take much. But negativity can corrupt. Words we use of gossip. Words that we use that are backbiting. Words that we use. It's not like the other temple can have a way of influencing. But what does God require of us? Cleansing. And before we look at that last message that we're going to see there, cleansing needs to take place. And I want to encourage anyone here this morning, if there's something between you and a loved one, something between you and a family friend, something between you and a friend, something between you and someone even in this room, put it right. And you can put it right over a pancake breakfast. Put it right. I remember I was playing in a weekend softball tournament up there in Estes Park. And um, it was just going to be an old man's softball league. And I remember putting on shorts and heading out the door. My wife said, "Hun, you better not be wearing shorts and playing baseball because I know what's going to happen. And so I remember, I said, oh, hon, I'm not going to slide. No big deal. So I remember putting those shorts on and a T-shirt and grabbed my glove and I'm heading out the door. First time up the bat, guess what happened? I hit that ball between the right field and the center fielder and I'm thinking, no big deal as I'm rounding first. Should I stay or go? Guess what? I'm going. And as I'm going, I'm seeing the ball coming in and I'm thinking, oh no, I got to slide. I slid and I was called out, no big deal. I wasn't worried about being called out by the referee or the umpire. You know what I was worried about? How am I going to sneak in the house? And so I got home. <laughs> My leg was bleeding. <laughs> I got home and I remember tiptoeing past the kitchen, down the hallway to the bathroom. And I remember I was standing there with the shower hose and just sort of washing my leg off. And I could feel this presence of my almighty wife. And she gave me one of these looks. And guess what she said next? I told you so. And then she looked at me and she says, that's not how you clean it out. She proceeded to make her way to the bathroom sink and she opened up that cabinet underneath and she pulled out that wretched brown bottle. And she looked at me and she's bent over. Now I'm going to clean it out. That hydrogen peroxide mixed it with water and she began to just pour it over my leg. And there were things in my leg that was probably there for five years was making its way out. That's how you clean. 
It's not about a weekly cleansing. It's about a daily cleaning. How many of us come to church just for a weekly cleansing? Just a a dusting as it would be. Or do we have a daily cleaning that takes place? How's your heart? Be clean as it would be. Don't compare with the past what God is doing in the presence. And let's look at this final message as it would be here as you turn with me to chapter 2 in the last few verses here. Verse 20. And he says this, chapter 2 and beginning at verse 20. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. So the fourth message is encouragement through future prophecy. Be encouraged. And in verses 20 to 22, there's an overthrow of Israel's enemies. Verses 20 to 22. And then in verse 23, there's a restoration of Israel through Zerubbabel. But just follow me here in verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. And so what is this signet ring that he's speaking of? What is this issue that's going to take place? And I think you have it in your notes there. But in Jeremiah chapter 22, look this up sometime this week. In Jeremiah chapter 22, beginning at verse 24, the Lord speaking to one of the last kings of Judah. This is incredible. When is there a time in your life you look back and you can see a milestone or you can see a transitional point or you can see a significant event that took place and you say, wow, if it wasn't for that. And in Jeremiah chapter 22, beginning at verse 24, one of the last kings of Judah, what God says is, I am going to strip off the signet ring. What's a signet ring? Anyone? It's a ring that the king wore. And it was a ring of authority, but it was a ring of identity. Watch this. I don't know if you've ever looked at this. That king's name was Jeconiah. And he says, I am going to strip that ring off your finger. You are king of Judah. And he says this, you will be childless. None of your descendants will sit on the throne of David. None of your descendants will become king. You will be childless. We've got a problem. Who comes from the line of Judah? The Messiah. And so the beginning of the captivity says, I'm stripping that ring off your finger and you will be childless. None of your descendants will be king. None of your descendants will sit on the throne of David. Now what do we have here in Haggai? After the captivity, what does he say? I will restore the signet ring and I will restore the lineage as it is, to the Messiah. This was a significant time in which there was a cut in the line of the Messiah that you and I have to be incredibly thankful for in which what God did. So as we conclude this lineage that we would see, just turn with me to Hebrews, or uh, to Ephesians. Ephesians 
in chapter 5. And the end of Haggai is this. There's a process of consideration. We walk in his ways. There's a power of encouragement. We share his words. And there's a privilege of being chosen. And each one of us in this room, it doesn't matter what we've done. What matters is what we're becoming. Never allow your past to define you. But allow God to use your past to refine you to become the men and women of God he wants you to be. Power of consideration, we walk in his ways. The power of encouragement, we share his words. And the privilege of being chosen, we are the temples of his glory. Don't compare our temples, but understand his glory. And here in Ephesians chapter 5, just to conclude with this, chapter 5, beginning at verse 15, therefore be careful how you, what word? Walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Therefore, be careful how you walk. And when it says, so then don't be foolish, it means don't be full of yourself. Because when we're full of ourselves, we make a fool out of ourselves. But what's the context? Be filled with the Spirit of God. Where is the Spirit of God living? In His temple. Let's don't be full of ourselves, but let us be filled with His Spirit. Consider your ways. How am I walking? Let me close with this. One of the things that takes place up at Ravencrest during the student calendar, they like to have what they call a talent show in which students love to have a talent show. And one of the things they love to do is they love to, you know, sort of maybe make fun of the, the teachers. And uh, one of the things that you probably have even noticed, I walk a particular way. I have one of these like kind of hops as I walk. And uh, the students often like to make fun of me and they like to walk like me and they like to talk like me or whatever, in which that is external. But who are the only people that can walk like me? our children. And our son, Andrew, he can only walk like me. You know why? Because he has my life in him. And which in the morning when he throws his legs out of bed and he walks to the bathroom or to the kitchen, you know, when he was younger, he would walk just like me. Not because he had to try to be like me, but he was able to walk like me because he has my life in him. And this morning, this week, as we walk, every step that we take, every step, may we consider our ways that our walk is much more than talk, but that our walk is his life through us to the world around us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this morning. And even as we walk the rest of today, 
And as we walk wherever it might be, may we not be defined by something of our past, but may we understand the liberating truth of your life, your life of forgiveness, your life of joy, your life of a new life, Lord, that is abundant life. That as what we take from the story of Haggai, may we consider our ways. May we walk with adoration. May we walk with worship. And may we walk with a life that shows your life to those around us. Thank you, Lord, for what you've taught us this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us as we walk the rest of today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.